everybody. Welcome to episode number three of the Wise Rock Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Uzwa. Along with me is my co-host, Jeff Horton. Jeff, how's Hello, it going Eric. this week? Oh, things are things are always good. You know, it's bright, it's sunny, it's hot. Everything we always wanted. Um, yeah. So this week, I want to get right into it and talk about jobs versus freelancing versus consulting. You know, I, uh, I've i gone through some job interviews recently just to explore, see what's out there. You know, Vancouver's in a, a great boom right now of tech jobs. And That's I right. thought there were some very interesting experiences. So I've been at this for 20 years, same as you have. And the interviews actually really surprised me. So there's a lot of talk around broad skills, people skills, connections, people who learn to learn, want to go through all of these technologies. And then, so I go into these interviews, and what people really boil down to is, can you do things like FizzBuzz? Can you do this programming test and draw an API and language of the week? You know, do you happen right. to know Go this week? Do you happen to know Node? It doesn't, you know, it doesn't even matter what it is. It's all up to the organization. But I've been really surprised that I go through these processes and a lot of it still boils down to, oh, well, you're not expert enough in this one narrow thing, which is That's not right. what they asked for. Or on the other side, it says, look, this is a people process. And I've been through conversations that are nine, ten hours across six, seven people. And they boil down to don't quite feel it. And I find right. both of those, you know, everyone seems like they're looking for unicorns and become so overwhelmed that they're going to get a donkey that they default so far the other way. And now I know you've been on your own for several years now, but I'm curious what you're feeling on that job interview fizz buzz kind of universe is. It's, I don't know. I, I don't know if I, if I have a magical life or if I do something weirdly different. I don't know. Like, uh, like when I read of some of these um, interview processes, you know, we, we always go through the latest stuff that's on Hacker News or something, and, and somebody will always post that they've had a nine-hour, you know, not a nine-hour conversation, a nine-hour actual technical interview, yeah. you know, where they've done tons of, you know, tons of tests, you know, APIs, and they've, you know, can you do this in, in Go, and then and then make it in Ruby, and then make it in something else, whatever, right? And I've never, I think it's been a very long time since I've had to go through as much rigor as that. I do, well, and that's what I find, know, too, is that on the consulting side, you know, when I have those same conversations, the conversation is, when can you deliver it? What is the That's schedule? Right. You know, can you make a work back for this? Can you make a project plan? You know, what are those deliverables and milestones? That's right. And in that context, everyone's perfectly happy with that, right? They they trust yep. you to get the work done. You know, you've built the schedule. But over here on the, you know, we'll call it the permanent job side, there's they seem so much more caught up in details than deliverables. Well, and, and, you know, I've, I would expect that I'm, or at least I'm assuming that it's, it's a lot tougher on the uh, permanent side of things because it, it caught, like it quote costs so much for a company to go through the actual hiring process in terms of putting all the paperwork in for a new employee, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, to me, you know, I'm really used to the world of, you know, you show up and if they don't like you, you're gone, you know, like, I mean, that's. That's being a consultant, right? I mean, one day you're the hero, the next day you're the zero, you know. But you, at the same time, you know, you've got a, I've got a strong delivery background. Um, you know, I've delivered on on everything I've tackled, yeah. right? And and so that track record helps boost you 
through a lot of these interviewing conversations. Yeah, well, that's that's um, why I find my my work really interesting because I've spent time on both sides, right? Quite a lot yeah. as as you know, con- drop in consultant and full time employee. But those the experience on one side or the other don't cross. So hmm. everything we talk about in the consulting world and deliverables and things like that, well, I've done that same as you, yeah. but in a in a job interview type scenario, no one, it's not worth anything. Right. right. But these are the same people who read the hacker news and believe in fire fast and those kinds of things. So I, I find, I just find it very, I don't know, odd, I suppose is the word, right? I, you know, I, I like the consulting world more myself. You know, and the interviews are interesting to go and see to and understand what people are asking. But it's, oh, it's yeah. a very, I, I find, I don't know, those worlds are, are confusing to me, I suppose. But so if we come back to hiring, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, I was in recruiting. So I used to go out and hunt guys like you and try and get you into contract projects. And so in those days, there was a lot of body shop kind of work. You know, I'm glad that tech has gotten away from that and it's not quite so... You know, here's a warm body who knows Java. Good luck. Yeah. yeah. But even in recruiting, there's 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 still a lot of uh, you know the fit. Talk about fit. Fit matters more than anything. You can teach skill, but they've got to be on the people side. You know, the guys you have beers with are not the same as the guys who deliver. Are not the same as the technical experts. And it's right. it's a lot like now in tech, especially we're chasing three distinct types of people and i'm i'm actually curious too like would we go would we hire an accountant like this right are you going to go out and have get your account look can you do this three hour tax return exercise for me to make sure that you're a good accountant right Right? you know what i don't think i would yeah so why like why is that kind of testing why does fizzbuzz exist in tech but there's not a accountant fizzbuzz or or maybe there is and we don't know about it but is there a doctor fizzbuzz, an accountant fizzbuzz, a you know storekeeper fizzbuzz? You know, I guess to that, I would I would say a large part of that really comes down to trust. I like you know what I mean. Like I mean, you're yeah. right. Like you would not you would not go when you're hiring a lawyer or a doctor or an accountant, like you say, or even a mechanic. You wouldn't you wouldn't put them through the ringer. You know, here's a broken up, here's a broken down car. Put it together, whatever. Yeah. And then you can work on my, you know super old van right yeah, exactly <laughs> if, you, so, if you can work on this perfectly clean setup ferrari scenario then you can right. come work but on the Volkswagen i'm sure you i'm sure you'll be fine on my plymouth right yeah. yeah so um no and 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 i've never quite really understood that either um and i don't i don't know what what initially drove that i don't know if it's if it's because on one hand you might have um the managers who are really good on the people managing people side of things but who don't understand anything on, about the technical stuff. And so then they bring in, they usually bring in um, like a lead developer or, or whatever to handle the technical part of the interview. And over time, that has kind of driven that interview style. Yeah, where but they, so this is the thing. Are, does this evolve just because techs are really bad at interviewing techs or it's super easy to, to lie your way through? You know, if you're if you're getting a guy who just fell out of university, yeah. then for sure, maybe he only knows the algorithm. But once you get into people who are, you know, 5, 10, 15 years into their career, I've not met a lot of people in software who can who can build a 15-year career just screwing around. That's right. And no, I haven't either. I haven't either. Um, you know, there's I've encountered people who maybe they deliver 
at a different speed. Um, maybe they, they have to go through a longer uh, um, analytical processing type of process. So they're, you know, on one hand, they're highly an analytical, but they're a little bit slower on, on the developing output. And yeah. then there's others who are really, really high developing output, but quite, I wouldn't say weak, but just lower on the analytical side, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's why um, I wonder, if, like things like these, some of these interviews, are we optimizing for one kind of developer? You know, not necessarily the best developer in all situations, but one kind. Right. Well, and, and that's if the, the interviewee or sorry, interviewer understands exactly what they want. Um, sometimes they don't, off, you know, we need we need a mobile guy or we need a Java guy. But when you get right down to it, you know, yes, they need a Java guy, but they also need, you know, a messaging guy. One you know what I mean? Like the organization too is that that mobile guy, is he a mobile guy who gets UX? Is he a mobile guy that gets, you know, release schedules? Like there's other things to it beyond just, yes, this is a guy who does Objective-C. Of course, yeah. Well, and maybe then, then maybe that's the driver of these of these longer interviews. These a lot tougher interviews is you know yeah we need you came in the door because you you've got a background in Objective C, yeah. But you know in order to establish that you're you're the one for us, you're the candidate for us, you have to pass through X, Y, and Z gates to get there. Yeah, yeah, could be. So, not guess, not convinced uh, the gate process is clear as people think it is right but no no definitely not definitely not and you know people don't want to admit it but it's you know it's it's a lot a lot of it comes down to people too yeah right i mean like you've we've all met the guys who are the people i should say not guys people who are you know extremely personable and very weak on tech and they make it wherever they go they somehow they're able to survive everywhere they go, right? Yeah. So, but the, re um, the, rea the reality of hiring is that you, not just in hiring, but in purchasing, in who your neighbors are, everything, you put so much more weight on things that are like you. Right? This this is the reality of it. You know, uh, my wife and I were at a recent uh, like lunch and learn here in Vancouver. And right. That woman, I think I have the the number here. Yeah. So she talks about how people perceive you. Right? And so your verbal content, so just the podcast you and I are giving right now, no one can see the hangout we're using. It's just our voices. Right? That's she right. She says that's, God. This, we're only sending 7% of a, the total experience, she says, the, this verbal yeah. content. Right? So everyone has to imagine everything else about us. This other visual piece, she says, is 38%. Right? So, they, so we're already, we've thrown away a third of the message. That's right. Beyond that, I look like Tom Cruise, by the way. Yeah, totally. I, I can see you. I totally believe that. Right? And then physical, you know, yeah. our, our hand movements, you know, stance, things like that. That's, that's over 50%. So anyone listening to the podcast, what she says is that, you know, first question is, have we given any stories, background to make people know that we're like them? Right? So anybody who's gotcha. listening, do they go, oh, well, I totally, you know, Jeff also likes test-driven development in unicorns. I like test-driven development in unicorns. Jeff must be like me. That moves right. my credibility up and kind of fills in that other percent that isn't heard. But the, uh, the stuff she talks about that is that similarity accounts for so much in interviews right, and jobs and presentations. So even if you think you're doing a technical examination of someone, the yeah. actual decision may still be feeling right that yeah. 
that that unknown gut feeling is this person more like me so that the, they don't confuse the herd that's right well and and i think that makes perfect sense when you have more than one people applying for the role what if you have three people three people excellent backgrounds ex, you know they've they, they've gone through every every gaining process you've thrown in front of them how do you choose the one out of the three yeah right i mean it's yeah so but i think the point is that it's not it's not as technical as people think it is in a lot of circumstances that's true right you're still you're still hiring the guy that made you comfortable the hand yep. motions you know one of the, the stories that came out of that that i talked my wife about so i'm left-handed and this uh book uh, book i was reading it was talking about uh, presidential speeches and how people things they like like ideas they support they'll gesticulate with their right hand their dominant hand generally Oh. But I'm left-handed. So that That's right, same means that things that I really believe in, right? right. So if I'm talking Everyone to you and I'm and like despises. these are the things, I'm using my dominant hand. But if you're so you're watching this on the video, right? You can see me right now. So yep. for me, I'm like, look, this is the hand gestures. These are the things you need to believe. But I'm going to the right hand, then uh, maybe I I kind of like this idea. So you might actually be interpreting me backwards, right? So what it says is that if I'm going into a meeting, I should actually understand the writing hand of everyone in the room, use my other hand to gesture, and that would actually make right. them feel more comfortable. Wow. Well, I'm, maybe I'll have to try that next time. Although I may, since, I'm, since it's not my dominant hand, I might come off looking really weird. You just start flailing wildly. <laughs> yeah. It's like trying to throw with your other hand, right? Like, ugh. That's, that's true. Uh, so one of the other things, uh, and we'll talk because you've been on the consulting side for a long time. Yep. I went to another meetup this week from the digital project managers with uh, Mark Fromson, and he was talking about his product, Local Solo, and being a freelanced project manager for, I want to say it's 12, 15 years now. Right? And he's had quite a lot of luck with it, been completely independent. So he talks about digging up leads, getting work through agencies, direct to clients, through agencies, on-site, off-site, all of those kinds of ideas. Right. And has built quite a career, seemingly, doing off-site, multiple clients, project management, really leadership, where he's even doing multiple projects at a time wow. right? and getting the billings for it and taking sabbaticals in the middle. So I know this is something that you, you've talked about growing your business and do you going to get into the situations where you're you're hiring staff and doing all of these other kinds of things? Like when, when do you switch from freelancer to consultant to agency? That's right. And I think, you know, you quite happily, I think, have moved from freelancer into consultant. Right? I think you've made that bridge. You're not just a pair of warm hands anymore. There's advice, there's experience, there's things like that that go with it. Yeah, no, I, I definitely don't consider myself, um, quote unquote, freelancer. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, I've been wondering about that for a while now. Like, how can I, you know, how can I grow beyond me? How can I, you know, the, the, the only thing I've been thinking of so far is, is just product development, creating products. But even, you know, even then you still need, you know, for you, you can't just flip from one to the other unless you're like you, you somehow trip across a superstar product, product idea that manages to really take off. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, there, there is some kind of bridge in between where you still need the beat. You, you still need help on delivering this product, but you need you need to do other work in the meantime to bring in the money. So some of the advice that he had, which I think is really applicable to you, is when you're switching from that, we'll call it pure freelancer kind of stuff into, you know, your own agency, 
right. is really around how you're presenting. Right? What are you actually selling to people? So, you know, you go in and you're selling that you are a drop-in problem-solving chunk, right? You're not just a guy who integrates with the process. You're a guy who brings his own process, brings his own stuff, has his own tools, documentation, otherwise. And that, so that, that approach really is like, you're hiring me, but it's like it's like hiring a brand. Right. That you, you're really starting there. You're not just going, I'm a guy knocking on the door, right? I'm a guy who loves a girl, who loves a guy, whatever that is here. You're showing up and going, yep. I am a drop-in box. I do X, Y, Z. I have tools. But the other big thing that came out of his presentation for me was fixed bid. And that, hmm. that actually really surprised me. Uh, so I, I've always actually felt that here, a yeah. lot of people were more comfortable with, you know, per hour from a billing and other things standpoint. But that's on right. reflecting on that for a few days, I realized that's actually really about our own insecurities about deliverables and our own misunderstanding of what people want to buy, right? So when you go to the mechanic, you don't want to pay per hour. Not really. Right. You, you happen to today because that's how a lot of automotive billing works. But what you want to know is this job is going to cost $1,200, right? Because I can budget around that. I can deal with that. I can make plans on that. You don't want to go $1,200, give or take 12 hours at 60 to 80, depending on the work. That You don't want that. That's true. Right. Exactly right. And then from that, what he does is grows into he now has his own collection of freelancers that he'll call on so he delivers you know here's here's the project you want here's my price to deliver it if i you know if you want me to come up with other people to help do the work then i've got bench guys that i can call right, right. and they can be wherever right. you know sometimes that's a pass through billing sometimes that's direct to the the client usually in agency terms he says not you know, outright direct clients. Uh, sometimes you're marking up that work. Right. right. But the point is, is that you're selling $40,000 worth of work. Right. And that, we've talked about that before, is that that's one of those bigger keys in moving into project and project-based billables. That's right. That you, can't, you can't be scared of that, right? Now, of course, that means that you can get stuck in estimating, you can get stuck in all kinds of places. And there's, there's ways to mitigate that, uh, but you're also saying in an hourly sense, you don't know your job well enough to take the risk. Right? That's, that's an implied message that you're giving. You know, and this, this, this assumes, of course, that you can write a complete statement of work, a set of deliverables, right. you know, and somebody signs on often. Right? That's, that's really what we're talking about. If we're talking about you know, I've got customers that call me because they need an hour every couple months. Well, that's not that's not necessarily fixed bid, right? And it's not that's big right. enough work to become even a retainer as far as I'm concerned. Right, right, right. But if they called me and said, look, how long does it take to build a website prototype from A to Z, you know, with these kinds of features, then, yeah, I should write a statement to work. Just like if I go to hire an agency, which I've done in the past, some you know, places I've worked, we've gone out to a website design firm. Right? We've got a bunch of bids. We've said, these are the kinds of things we need to have happen. Right. And we get back a price tag. And, right? and then it says, look, if there's a disagreement about this, 
we're going to renegotiate. Right? But that's got padding, that's got other things built into it, and we judge them on that basis. If somebody came by and said, yeah, the website's maybe it's going to take three months, I'm not, we're not going to buy that. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's... No, I, I think you're right. I mean, I've seen, I've seen so many, I mean, we've both seen so many um, arguments and, and gone through so many arguments for and against fixed, fixed price, hourly work, daily work, weekly work. Um, you know, some people, they, they, to, to not, to not, to avoid the per hour conversation, they talk about, you know, weekly rates. Yeah. Um, you know, there's still a rate price tag in there, but, you know, they, I think, you know, you have to be really, you have to be, re, you have to develop a really keen eye, I think, on being able to estimate or even, even negotiate that type of arrangement where you can comfortably say that, you know, this will take X, X amount of hours and, and stick to it, right? Like, you know, barring any um, pits, barring any zombie, zombie raids, right? Um, it, you know, I've, I've, everyone has sounded like that they've wanted a straightforward either app designed or, or, or JavaScript help or a product, something like that. But it's turned out to be, some of them turn out to be real rabbit holes. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of, that's where the, the argument has always been to stay at a per hour basis. Yeah. Well, so right. that's but, the I thing mean, is that, who would who would who would buy that like who would if you're the, if you're walking into a store like you say like a mechanic you don't ask them you know how much how much do you charge per hour yeah yeah like that's and the thing is it is it a rabbit hole because these meetings can only exist as rabbit holes right if you know if, if you and, and i in these situations you know i put out a proposal last week it's got a day rate you know there's a little bit of you know this could be four to five days but yep. that's that's what i put down right it's it's this much day rate for either four or five days so it's still yep. got a 20 percent in it the more i think about it the less comfortable i become with that actually is i'm looking at now going you know what why didn't i just put a fixed price around this I, you know if my if my estimates are wrong then i'm hoping that i've put it enough buffer in and then I've got enough experience and really thought through the problem of what I'm selling even. You know, this isn't this isn't a website, right? This is architectural review, things like that. So right, right. you know, what am I gonna say? Oh, I'm gonna charge you a nickel per line of code? Well that doesn't make any sense either. I have to be confident in here's the bundle I'm selling you. Right. But so if you go into these situations, you know, why not? If you really force them to sit down and make a statement of work this is what the actual deliverables, this is what milestones are, then estimating shouldn't be that hard, right? And I think it's That's just right. as much on the clients who don't want to do that. Yeah. Right? I would, or, you know, I was just going to say, I, I think a lot of projects would end up being a little bit more successful or at least less hairy if they did start out that way. Yeah. Where you force them to really, you know, make decisions and think up front, right? Instead of, you know, just let's just get going, you know? We'll, we'll pay you per hour. Let's you know. Let's get to work, right? Yeah. Um, but if they had sat down at the beginning, and said, "This is the kind of thing we want to do," and and then even they would by talking through it. You, I mean, you know as well as I do by talking through things. Sometimes it, it actually reveals either you know features that they that they don't they no longer need or features that they didn't didn't know that they actually need now. 
and they revealed themselves because they talked about it. They analyzed a little bit of, you know, creating the statement of work. Yeah, well, that's, and that's the thing, like, design documents and a statement of works have gone out of fashion for a lot of little companies. Bigger companies, of course, yeah. they still matter because you're talking about a lot of resources. That's but right. But I don't think I've had a real conversation, you know, client-initiated about design docs and statements of work for companies less than, you know, 10, 15 people. I think there's an awful lot of this is kind of what we're doing, this is our week-to-week agile flow, right? Like that's the right. backlog you know, like a never-ending to-do list, even a prioritized to-do list is not the same as a goal. Right, right. And and I think that, you know, when, when you're in an environment like that, I think that's what the main driver is towards getting, just trying to hire as many, you know, uh, permanent staff that you, as, as you can. Because then you're, you're not, well, I guess in some ways you are, but you're not paying dollar mistakes for if you don't understand some of the decisions you haven't yet made when you when you farm it out to you know an, an agency or something like that do you know what i mean like you, like you have you, you know you're experimenting all of the time i guess is is another way yeah. of looking yeah at well it. so and that's so to you know to bring this all so around you, to that hiring we talked about at the start yeah you know if your process is i don't you don't use the ad hoc but if your process is always week to week stick glue on the wall see what has to happen then the things that you say you're hiring for are actually never what happens day to day in practice anyway right you're simply you know if you're like we have to have this expert in zed but every two weeks you're like well maybe zed we'll put it inside a messaging system we'll do this this time you know we'll throw some machine learning in it'll be great right you're not necessarily getting anywhere right and you know i mean to that i would say you i mean you also the, the the danger there is that you also need a little bit of wiggle room where you can experiment a little if you need to. Yeah. Um, like if you come across a, um, a particular library or, or um, I don't want to say technology because I, I wouldn't recommend switching technologies halfway through anything. But, you know, when you, you come across a, a library out of the blue that seems to really drop in to exactly the, some of the problem you're trying to solve. Then I think it's worth trying a little experiment to see if that will, if that is the key to to fixing that one area. It can be. So, but this is this is part of the, a large argument we'll have uh, maybe next week about monoliths versus microservices, right? and how one is you know neither one of them is the best way to solve anything. Right. And certainly the microservices universe has become very popular lately with lots of ways to just glue things in here, there, everywhere, depending on the best magic you find this week. But again, that's not the same as a plan. That's not the same as a roadmap. That's not the same as deliverables, right? There's still an amazing amount of week-to-week, call it art. Right. So that I, I actually think that the consultant universe, right, and that four hiring universe forces you not to do right, because you have to think things through. So, but maybe we've gone a bit of a circle today, so yep. that's that's okay. Well, either way, half an hour of confusing people about how we feel about jobs consultants, and, and hopefully you learned something from that, that bit of Fromson presentation. <laughs> definitely, okay. definitely. Those are some good ideas. ideas. Yeah. Uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to see how that goes over the next few weeks. We'll try something. Yeah. We'll just put price tags, right? $10,000 <laughs> a month. I don't care what. Just <laughs> yeah. that's, that's not quite fixed bid anymore, but that's how it goes. <laughs> Uh, Either way, lovely chat, and I'll catch you again next week. Fantastic as usual. Thanks a lot. Okay, bye-bye. Have a good week. Thanks for listening, everyone.